0: Hi, good evening, everyone. Welcome to today's webinar. My name is Sophia. I manage and organize Spectrum events for you, bringing the community together through learning at Spectrum. So for those of you who are new to Spectrum, aside from organizing webinars, we touch on current affairs like these and forward-looking ones. We run physical events at a beautiful space at Duo Tower. We also offer workspaces for the community experience and bring together members and provide the connections to expand their business. So today's webinar is um, entitled, Can the FMB industry emerge stronger from COVID-19? Spectrum is privileged to have these panelists on board with us. So before I uh, introduce each and every one of them, participants, if you have any questions, please post them onto the channel here. So first up, I have Alexis Baudouin. He's the owner and founder of YOLO. Alexis found the motivation to set up YOLO after heading business development for Tony Fernandez's Ketam group. We are no stranger to YOLO. They provide tasty and healthy good food with both physical establishments and online presence. So Alexis will provide his perspective as a business owner. Also, to share with us the challenges and opportunities faced at today's discussion. Next up, I have Keith Jaggard. He's the regional country manager, Southeast Asia of The Entertainer. So The Entertainer is a lifestyle app with thousands of one-for-one and discount dining offers at some of the best brands in the market. So, um, Keith has more than 15 years experience in the FMB industry from the UK to Spain and now in Singapore. It'll be interesting to hear from Keith on both sides of the market and with the company's global presence at today's discussion. Next up, I have Tim Davis. Tim is the co-founder and COO of Waiter. Waiter provides mobile ordering and payment technology to restaurants, cafes and bars in Singapore and Europe. He spent his career mostly in MNCs, such as Australia's third largest bank, Nor, and one of Unilever's biggest food brands. So Tim will share his perspective as a business owner and which business plays an important part of the ecosystem at today's discussion. Last but never the least, the moderator for today is the founder of OnCoffeeMakers.com, Ebenezer Heng, He designs classes for Food Hotel Asia, National Library Board, and tertiary institutions. Ebenezer has worked with FMB, hospitality companies, through the programs he created. So, without further ado, Ebenezer, I'll hand it over to you. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Sophie. So, good evening, guys. Thanks for joining us. Now, currently, of course, we, we all know that we're in the midst of the biggest crisis anyone has ever faced covid in Chinese, the word for crisis is called Weiji. So in it, it is really the opportunities. And we also believe that in every crisis lies opportunity to be discovered. And not just any opportunities, but technology-enabled opportunities. In fact, this is what the government is also actively promoting. And, in, and uh, very importantly, today we have with us panelists that run established technology platforms serving the food and beverage industry. So has the panelists share their insights, please feel free to key in your questions that you have and that you want to address, to pick the brains of the panelists and to augment the overall experience of this particular webinar. Just give you a rundown on what we'll be chatting about in the next uh, one hour. First, we'll touch on the major transformation happening in this industry, the impact on F&B business. Then after that, we will move on to understand, have some understanding on the current ecosystem between the Food and beverage owners, the system platforms provider, and the consumers. Of course, talking about crisis, nothing is complete without addressing the challenges for the F&B industries. And this will be one portion that we'll be spending some time on. We will be finishing off the, the this webinar with what are the wins, what are the triumphs that we can look forward to. And of course, some imagination on what we believe the industry will look like after COVID so with that, let's begin. Let's talk about the transformation. Now, of course, the F&B industry is facing a major, major transformation. Although to, after phase two, even phase two is happening, just right a few hours later, the measures in post are, are plenty. So there is uh, initially, we were just talking about just take away delivery. And um, moving forward, we are talking about safe distancing, safe entry, scanning of identity card, contact tracing, and all this. So massive transformation in the food and beverage industry. Let's hear from our panelists on how this regulation have impacted their businesses. So I'm starting with Alexis. So 2020 poses a different challenge for food business owners. How has the food and beverage industry changed since uh, COVID and uh,
2: during the circuit breaker, Uh, Alexis? Yeah, sure. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for the question. I think that, you know, obviously it's been, you know, it's been quite a year and, you know, you speak about transformation and, you know, it feels like, you know, we went, you know, the whole industry went through like a, you know, a huge grinder. And, and, you know, like the, obviously I think everybody can, you know, like I've heard, I've seen, you know, restaurants, you know, clothes. Um, You know, and and obviously us being stuck at home has, you know, completely changed the landscape for us. But, you know, I feel like, you know, giving some numbers is is something that would, you know, pretty much like enlighten, you know, like the the, the situation and and bring some reality to what is happening. Because, um, you know, like, even though like we are coming out of confinement, um, you know, like, and and I think we've seen a a ton of brands already, you know, closing uh, and closing for goods. Uh, I think the worst is is yet to come you know for for our industry and and just to you know like so bring some some key numbers right um, so seventy five percent you know of f and b outlets have had a drop of more than sixty percent in revenue fifty five percent of you know of uh, of the outlets have had a drop of more than eighty percent in revenue, and only seven and a half percent of the outlets have had you know like revenues affected by less than twenty percent. So I think when you you look into this, you know, into this statistic, right? It brings reality, you know, in a different light. And you know, and of course, like a lot of us, have been greatly affected by, you know, the walk-in, you know, being basically like, you know, shut. For example, myself, right? I had to I had to close, you know, two outlets out of four, and I still, you know, was fortunate to, you know, to, you know, keep two outlets and open and and still have like, you know, decent business on those two outlets. But you know, like, unfortunately. Um you know, like a lot of f and bs you know didn't have that chance they didn't have that you know that that opportunity and you know like seventy percent of you know like the you know the f and b you know after that were part of that survey said that they had you know closed some of their outlets. so you know like the the situation is is you know like is 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 very bad you know the I'll say like the one thing that was you know like i think that we've all been very grateful is we've received some you know good support from the government. Um, you know and it comes from uh, you know help for of course like rentals um, for salaries you know for levies um, and you know that has you know helped us survive but then again speaking on like a whole industry uh, you know like all and, and not my personal case um, I think that you know like very very serious problems lie ahead uh, once those help are gonna are gonna stop the business is gonna gonna go back to you know to how it was and and a lot of outlets and a lot of brands that you know, spend big dollars uh, to to get really good locations, or uh, just gonna you know they're just gonna bleed to death, and uh, and I think that you know like uh, now there needs to be some some serious conversations to discuss about you know what is gonna happen, uh, you know post uh, confinement, you know because um, obviously everybody you know like the, the the industry has changed, the you know the consumer behavior has changed, and we'll discuss about this uh, you know during the conversation. So yes, it's uh, you know it's a very very dark time for us. Thank you, Alexis. I just want to I just
1: want to uh, expand on two two points that you you brought up. Okay, uh, very interesting points. The seven percent that um, still enjoy uh, has less than twenty percent drop in their revenue. Um, is there any is is there any like um, names or like cluster? Whether they are fast food restaurants or whether they are like normal restaurants or catering, the seven percent that did not suffer a huge drop.
2: What type of uh, F and B are they? So you know, like this this survey and that I'm basically quoting, right, was done by GLL. And actually, like you know, so a lot of the you know the fast food brands were actually you know like least impacted. And I think that you know for for multiple reasons, I think number one is also price point. Number two is you know like already the you know the user experience for the customers. You know like a lot of customers used to order these brands online. You know or just you know go and you know and and take away. So it seems take is still available. I think the brands are very affordable um you know I've been you know and have like also like huge databases and and you know good loyalty programs I've been able to you know and some of them still thrive you know like you know and we still have outside that you know like and brands are you know thriving there you know when I look at my you know personal case you know we feel like we're we're very fortunate we know we're in the bottom bracket you know business is being uh, knowing that, you know, like I shut down two outlets and two of my outlets are greatly, still greatly affected. But, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the savior for us was our online business. And, uh, you know, like we were already quite established through, uh, you know, through a new planned service that we have. And then we, you know, we, I think like, you know, like adapted very quickly and, and launched like a whole new business unit, which were, which is called Yolo Mart, which allows people to basically like, you know, like, uh, buy the grocery online. Uh, and uh, you know using all our favorite uh, you know our favorite ingredients, so those two together really allow to uh, you know i say like counterbalance what was happening to uh to the you know to the offline business basically thanks just just one
1: just one more question which I believe that the 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 user will have in mind so you mentioned that you have four and then you you close down two which are the other two that is uh open how do you make a decision which to close and uh, to open like is there a benchmark or is it based on past historical data or like because everything's quite dynamic right now during the covid
2: yeah yeah of course like you know so you know you know of course on our side you know it was based on you know on revenues that we're generating but also like location you know because we you know we selected you know outlets you know to keep open that had like a you know a good coverage when it comes to you know to deliveries um especially for like the you know delivery aggregators like you know like delivery food panda uh, grab food, So, you know, we tried to uh, to be strategic, you know, when it came to, uh, you know, our outlets and keep the ones that, you know, we felt would, you know, do better on those platforms uh, and then close, you know, the ones that were more, uh, you know, towards like office crowd, uh, you know, and, and a good example is our Raffles Place outlet, you know, Raffles Place is probably the busiest, uh, you know, like one of the busiest locations in Singapore uh, and now it's basically like, you know, like the location in Singapore that suffers the most. Um, so, so yeah, so, you know, we, we, we looked at it from like a strategic point of view of, uh, location and, uh, and sales revenues.
3: I think lot yeah. sort for of the merchants, uh, are looking at the data yeah, and looking at data where, where people are dining in now and people are at home. They're not in the CBD as much anymore, right? The CBD yeah. Yeah. outlets and restaurants are the ones that are, are suffering the most probably now, whereas before they were thriving, as you said.
1: Yeah, no, it's quite opposite, right? Yeah. Hidden just yeah. right, Keith. I was just going to ask, like, from a service platform provider point of view, right, what do your F and B merchants, user and um, providers experience in the transformation
3: and, and how, how
1: how are they managed?
3: So I mean for us as a as a mobile app, I mean we've obviously seen a big pivot towards um, takeaway Delivery, online takeaway, for example. I mean, for 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 us as a brand, it's not something that you know we've really looked at in that much detail. I mean, we've always had a takeaway section in the app, but it's always been kind of like a walk-in um, takeaway. And you know, with the um, with everything that's gone on with COVID nineteen, we've had to really you know accelerate our plans in in looking at delivery and looking at online takeaway. Um, to be honest, delivery was never something we looked at too much in Singapore simply because we thought it was such a crowded um, space, um, so we kind of stayed away from it you 've got three massive companies you know all fighting for um, market share with very very big marketing budgets um, and it 's just something that we haven 't really looked at but um, Obviously, with everything that's happened, um, we had to react. We had to pivot our business as well. I mean, our business was predominantly dying in and we've had to we've had to pivot our business to 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 you know try and grab some of that takeaway um, delivery and online takeaway market um, over the past um, month and or well, two months, should I say? And it's going to continue. I mean, that's that's for sure. You know, tomorrow we we go into phase two, but. There are capacity restrictions um people are still going to be probably a little bit scared to 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 go out like before the government are advising not to specifically go out and dine and and visit you know 15 different households (laughs) in the same day um so it's going to be it's going to be around for a while um we've just got to hope that you know obviously phase three or phase two B or whatever the next, I don't know what the next phase is, but the next phase kicks in um, so that we can, um, we can go back to normal. If just want one,
1: one follow up question. So you mentioned that like, um, you did did some pivoting, and then you also move on to uh, delivery. I mean, the truth is I understand that some, some, some other digital platform also did the same thing. And may I say that a lot of F&B merchants, they are actively signing up with a lot of platforms. I mean, other than the usual established one, they are also signing up for maybe for yours and for any other that offer delivery. What is your take on this? Right, Is it good? Is it bad for you, for the merchants?
3: It's good for the market. Mm. Because, you know, theoretically, more competition should bring the fees down, right? I mean, it should make it a more competitive... Um, space um and and the more competition there is then obviously you know um businesses have to have to become smarter so i do think it's good the question is whether you know how long how long this is gonna you know last someone like um you know choke for example similar, you know they've never really gone into delivery and they, they went into delivery um i suppose it's a question of how long are they gonna how long are they going to maintain that? Is, that? is that here for the long term? Is it just something for 2020, for example? Um, you know, We know that their business is, not, is, is certainly not delivery, but I, I do think it's, a, I think it's a good thing.
1: And Keith, thanks for sharing. Okay, now, now I have a question for Team. So Waiter has a, an ordering and payment apps, is another part of the ecosystem that will have been impacted during the COVID. What is, what is the transformation that you have observed and uh, is currently going through, uh, Team?
4: Yeah, uh, thanks for the question. So, first of all, uh, as much as we have apps, we that's only a part of our business. So, we also enable customers to order and pay from their mobile phone just within a browser. And so, I was, in terms of stats, the mobile app orders are actually a smaller percentage of our business than the people ordering through just a browser. And so, in answer to your question, how has COVID impacted us and the industry as a whole? Obviously, there's massive growth in terms of online ordering and so players like so you uh, Keith mentioned Chope. so they've moved into delivery uh, we also built a delivery function much like Keith we had no plans at all of doing delivery uh, in fact exactly the same reasoning as Keith there are three major players all fighting for market share we had no interest we we specialize in in and takeaway and that's what we've always done but we our business model is that we charge a fixed fee per month and then a small fee per transaction and so, all of our restaurant partners called us when the circuit breaker happened and said, How soon can you build delivery? Because we can't maintain the big fees that the, the platforms are paying. Mm. And so, we very rapidly built a very basic delivery function where they could accept orders and payments for delivery through our system. And then the restaurant would be responsible for organizing the delivery, whether they did it themselves because they had spare capacity in their staff, or whether they got a player like Lala Move or Grab Express or someone else to deliver the food. And so there was there was demand for delivery, but it nowhere near offset the decline in dining. So exact our numbers match exactly with what Alexis is saying. So we took a massive hit in the volumes in terms of dining. Obviously, dining closed. So dining was went from big to zero. And then takeaway uh, did go up in some areas, but we our focus for, for takeaway was on the CBD because that's where all the people were who were time poor and wanted takeaway our takeaway service. And so the CBD died. And so we had a massive decline in in takeaway as well. And so, yes, we were able to build delivery, but it didn't offset that. At the same time, there was huge demand from restaurants for our service in general, because they see that digitization of their platforms, now's the time to do it. Now's the time that customers are gonna be accepting, ordering and scanning a QR code, placing an order, making payment from their phones, because A, it's contactless, Uh, B, there's a reason why restaurants can do it. Uh, There's capacity constraints. There's things like increasing table turns, having fewer staff, processing more orders. And so we had more inbounds than we've ever had before just as a result of COVID. And so Waiter as a company will benefit in the long term, but our revenues over the past few months have taken a massive, massive hit. So I think it's as an industry, we're all hurting So and we have been hurting. Uh, and we align ourselves with our restaurant partners and they're all bleeding. And so the question is how much we can all get through this and how much we will benefit from it in the long term.
1: So one follow-up question. So you mentioned that, of course, the dying t- took a massive hit, obviously, because of the circuit breaker. So right now we're going into phase two. And uh, with the government saying that uh, there's a new normal, right? The phase three and all. Don't know how long that's going to last. What if the dine did, would not go back to the usual and uh it's just like maybe at 60 percent, 70 percent. do you think the delivery will at one point match up in terms of revenue say in uh, three months four months Then, do you
4: mean for waiter or for restaurants
1: we just say for uh take from the perspective of waiter and uh even like the whole industry okay
4: uh for waiter i don't see that happening so here in singapore a delivery is only a small portion of our business and we're not in uh, strategically we're not looking at making it as good of a solution as what grab and food panda does Uh, it will be decent and it will be it will serve a purpose but we're never going to aim to compete with grab and food panda so from a user experience perspective i think that it will be really hard for us to get people to think of waiter first Mm. when they're choosing delivery and so we do it and if our restaurant partners benefit from that and we're able to provide a service to restaurant partners and the people who want to support the restaurants go through us because it means that the restaurants make more money, then that fills a need for both the users and the restaurants. And that's great. I, but it won't be a big part of our business here in Singapore and globally, it definitely won't be part of our business. Mm. So globally, we see that a dine in is, is the space to go, even in the, the COVID environment. And the reason I say that is even if you open up 20% of your restaurant capacity, then what you, want to need, what you want is people to be able to turn over those tables faster. You want to have fewer staff. You want to be able to enable, have contactless ordering. All of the things which we do fit seamlessly into that. And so we forecast that we're actually going to see increased revenue for waiter. So the, the question more broadly is about the industry. And I think that Alexis can probably touch on this better than I can, but my understanding from speaking with all of our clients is that they haven't structured their businesses historically to cater to that kind of Setup, and so eighty percent of your volume usually comes from dining in as a restaurateur, and only twenty percent is generally delivery or takeaway. And in that environment, your the if you change it so that eighty percent of your revenue is coming from delivery and from the, the margins that the delivery players are charging, then you can't cover the rent just because of the the math just doesn't work out. And so I think that the that there would have to be a shift in. The business models for the restaurants to use that space to to yeah. do something with the rent, uh, and so I'm I'm not really one to give strategic advice on how to manage that. But I just, unless the restaurants are set up in different ways, like cloud kitchens or in different locations, then maybe they can adapt to that. But I I, I can't I can't really comment.
1: Thanks, thanks, thanks for giving the the views and um, some perspective on this. So for those that just join us, the audience, uh, feel free to key in your question in the Q and A session. So we were just talking about the transformation in the F&B industry. So right now, I'm going to move into just now what we touched on quite a bit, the delivery platforms. So some businesses, of course, have their own. So they are actively doing delivery and like what some of the panelists have shared, uh, they have augmented some of the offerings to even um, offer delivery service. Some that decided that they don't want to do delivery, they, they probably have closed for the period. So, but the, the fact is, almost every company, every F&B company, are, de- are using some form of delivery and most of them have some grosses about the high fees. So here's a question to Alexis. To better the revenue for f and uh, are delivery companies like Deliveroo, Panda, and Food the only answer for existing uh, F&B establishment? Um, we talk about right now,
2: of course, or even yeah. in
1: the next six months.
2: Yeah. Correct. Well, I mean, like, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, delivery has been a topic of conversation for, you know, for, I mean, for many years. Um, and, you know, and now I think that, you know, a lot of FNBs, um are really starting to, you know, pay attention to it and pay attention to the situation. But, uh, you know, like, I mean, you know, I was part of like a leading group that, you know, like. Rephrase really and questions because we are in a in a lose lose situation. Uh, you know when it comes to you know to to the delivery business, you you know we're working with you know with with partners, um, you know and, and I and I say partners right because this is you know how the relationship is settled. But uh, the reality is that you know for you know like when you look at the delivery business, you look at the fees and the commission uh, structure. And, um, you know, they're already taking a big chunk of your sales, right? So, you know, like, uh, and I think like Pete mentioned it very well in, in his answer, right? Um, you know, if you are only 20% of your, of your revenues or food deliveries, you know, it's something that you can manage, right? You can attribute that to some part of like marketing costs, um, you know, and, and brand presence and, you know, getting that first customer to try your brand to, you know, entice him to come to your store. But, you know, if you reverse that, you know, and then you give, you know, you give, which is the average, like 30% commission away, you know, how does the math work, right? And I think that, you know, this is where it gets extremely troublesome. And, you know, the reality with you know, since, you know, since confinement and COVID, right, what has happened, you know, now on those platforms? Number one, a ton of players that were either using only one outlet or, you know, only one aggregator or non-aggregator, no aggregator now or you know i've been inquiring to go on on, on the platform and you know basically is every single B outlet have been like you know like really you know trying to get on anything and just trying to get any type of sales right so number one they're coming in and they're probably negotiating terrible commission rates and then number two right once you're on those platforms what you need is you need sales but now there's a ton more outlets out there right there's so many more outlets that you know you need visibility And so I think that now a ton of players are realizing like, all right, I need visibility, Um, especially because, you know, the radius through the, you know, the years has reduced and reduced and reduced. So now, you know, like even just like two years ago, you know, you could deliver within five and a half kilometers from your restaurants now, you know, and, and players like, you know, and players like Grab, for example, uh, you know, give you a two and a half kilometers, but sometimes during peak hours, they give you a 500 meter radius. So, you know, like you're literally fighting, for customers that, you know, are literally like, you know, could walk to your outlet. So, you know, there's an element of, you know, like, there's so many outlets out there that how do you get visibility? Well, those merchants tell you, all right, give discounts. So give 10% discounts, give 20% discount, give 30% discounts, but let's be clear, right? If you're, you know, if you uh, you know, your commission rate is 30%, and on top of that, you give a 20% discount that, you know, they charge you in actual dollars, you literally have 50 you know, like percent out, you know, out of the window. Um, and how do you, you know, like, how do you survive? You can't, you know, you literally losing money in every single meal that leaves your kitchen. And, you know, and so the problem is, you know, multiple, uh, on multiple, on multiple areas, right. Uh, is on the commission structure is on the fact that, you know, the radius is very small. So why the radius is very small because those companies are not making money either. Right. So we're not making money. They're not making money and basically right the smaller the radius the higher the risk of like you know like basically then stealing your customers for walk-ins is important and that's also a reality you know and i, and I see team like you know like smiling and uh, and yeah and that's something that you know like we've been you know we've been like it's an argument that we've been bringing forward a lot right because you know one of the one of the issues is when you do those deliveries you do not own any type of information any type of contact any type of emails right so this is where you know, the situation like that we're facing right now is an opportunity to, you know, to start to develop your own deliveries, right? Yeah. But, of course, here is another limitation in Singapore is the cost of delivery. Uh, you know, when you use a third-party, uh, you know, like company to, you know, to help you, like you know, process those deliveries. Um, yeah, the cost is, is huge. You know, it's not like if you're in Indonesia and it's easily, you know, like uh, executable, right? Here, it's, it's very costly. So, you know, the math was just extremely difficult, you know, and and as soon as you do this, you need minimum orders, um, you know, you need um, a ton, you know, a ton of orders, um, you know, like not just like minimum order value, but a ton of orders as well. And, And then you're fighting against a ton of other companies that are slashing prices, giving huge discounts. And, you know, so ultimately who gets spoiled is the consumer, right? The consumer has so much choice right now. Um, and, you know, he's facing so many discounts that, you know, like the, I'll say like the convenience is so high that at some point something will have to change, you know, like the customer will, you know, will have to understand that they probably need to pay more expensive if they want the food to, you know, to reach their home, uh, versus going to a restaurant. But, you know, at some point, something's going to have to give in because the situation is just, um, you know, it's just not sustainable for anybody.
1: So. Just now like uh, one question, uh, I think like maybe Keith or Alexis you, you can answer, but um, just is something like uh, Alexis mentioned, like, to develop your own, right? So just now, so Alexis mentioned earlier that uh, the 7%, uh, most of them are fast food. They have their own platform and to a certain extent, quite a number of them have their own um, fulfillment. They're able to deliver. So perhaps that's the one of the reasons why they're closer to the customer. So um, maybe key first. What, what are your views on like for F&B merchants or this developing their own uh, apps, uh, their own delivery and their own uh, fleet to deliver?
3: Well, I mean, I think that and you know, as Alexis touched on it just now, there's been a lot of a lot of talk, obviously, about the high fees that you know delivery platforms charge. It's, it's been in the press a lot because it's the only alternative there is right now. We've been you know, locked down with no dine-in for two months. So the only thing you could do was either set up your own or, or jump on the bandwagon and try and get on all platforms. Um, and, you know, I think one of the challenges is like, there's kind of a, a situation during um, these last two months whereby, you know, a lot of what we were seeing was a, a lot of restaurants were using their service staff um, to deliver, some of their items, maybe using you know a, a private uh, delivery company like like um, Tim mentioned earlier, and then you've got kind of got a post um, uh, phase two, if you like, uh, reality, which will be um, obviously the the dining staff will be going back to work, um, and they're not going to be able to do the deliveries anymore. I think one of the biggest challenges that the restaurants will have if they do try and go down their own. You know, delivery route will be manpower because manpower is one of the biggest challenges there is in Singapore for um, uh, you know the restaurant industry. So I think I think what's going to happen is 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 the market will adjust to 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 new opportunities, um, and I think we've uh, we've started to see it. I mean, if you compare Singapore to other markets around Asia or other markets around the world, you know. You've got kind of like the big three with the potential of, um, you know, maybe even Gojek or GoFood, I think, is going to enter. So you'd have four massive players fighting for that. Then you've got other platforms that are starting to do commission, which is a bit more mid-tiered. And then I did see a company, I can't remember what the name of it was, just just a couple of weeks ago, I saw there was a company that was going to be launching um, pretty much minimal uh, commission, I think it was zero percent commission, and then and they were going to add kind of like a five or six percent to the cost of of the items um for ordering delivery so you 're kind of seeing people coming into that into that space where the opportunity is, but I think the biggest the biggest difference is the engagement of the database you you can set up um you know a, a an app which which is going to charge nothing to the restaurant five percent extra which i don't think people would have issues in paying but if people aren't using that app it it doesn't mean much at the end of the day you need that you need that traffic so i think that's where the where the balance is Um, and it's trying to find that balance of getting people to to take up those apps and that's the only way the industry is going to change or at least that's how i see it
1: thanks keith uh, we have some questions coming in uh i will address that as, as I I'll forward to the panelists shortly uh, but first let me ask them uh what about what about your merchants did they share with you any any what, what are your takes from, of your merchants on this uh delivery the fees and all
4: Uh, I I sort of touched on it earlier. I think that the reason restaurants came to us is because they said, your model is different. You only charge a minimal fee per transaction. And so the more volume that goes through waiter, the better the return on investment for the restaurants because they're paying us a monthly fee and a really small fee per transaction. And so I think Alexis and and Keith pretty much covered this this question. Like The restaurants uh, don't see it as a sustainable option to pay such high percentages to the delivery players they don't see like they've got many choices because it's go with the delivery players who give them some sales or don't make any sales at all if you're in a quiet area where everyone's staying at home. And so I think it's really, really tricky. Uh, We've seen some restaurants doing unique things uh, to use different options. So as an example, one of our clients uh, recently started selling their food through retail, as in they were literally now selling meal at home kits. And so that means that the product where the people knew their brand. It was in their stores, and now they can buy it in. Uh, I don't think know if it was cold storage or or NTC fair price, but it was one. It was one of the two, and I was like, that's a really cool pivot for a brand because they've got chefs who can who can prepare the food, um, and they're able to sell it now. And obviously, Alexis has already mentioned that he's got an online business, and so I, I think maybe he could he could comment further on what are the options outside of delivery because. Um, Obviously, I'm just going to be tweeting my own horn if I say that restaurants should use Waiter. Yeah, no, like, Yeah, Yeah, Alexis, is
2: it Alexis? Sorry, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. So just to, you know, just to add to that, you know, like one of the things I wanted to mention, right, is, you know, so there are, you know, there are opportunities, you know, and and I think that, you know, like one of the, you know, one of the key things I don't see, like, you know, and I don't, you know, see other, like, you know, like brands do enough is retention. You know, like when you're an online business, the, the only thing that you look at is retention, retention, retention of your users, right? So, you know, then again, like for my brand, you know, we were lucky because, um, you know, when this hit, right, we already had, you know, the infrastructure, we had all the logistics, uh, you know, we had the products, and you know, like, and and then it's it's really like it's online or offline. How are you going to make sure that you retain your customers because you know the you know the offer is going to increase, and you need to make sure that you know you create that USP, right? And so. Um, you know, I, am lucky enough that I'm in a space that, you know, you know, which is, you know, healthy eating, um, where, you know, that you know, there's a direct correlation to people being confined at home, right? People being, you know, at home, they're moving a lot less, they're burning a lot less calories, they're putting on weight. Problem there, right? And this is where my brand could like, you know, easily come. So, you know, we worked a lot on like content work a lot on, you know, on, um, on education. We brought, again, we worked a lot on like our digital campaigns. And I think that we were, uh, you know, very, very efficient on that, on that front. And, um, and yeah, and, and then again, we invested heavily, uh, you know, in, in online campaigns um, just to make sure that, you know, like uh, we're, you know, like that we have that share of mind for the customer. Another, you know, opportunity is how can you go and, and, and develop, you know, like the, the takeaway side, right? Because you're still, again, in a market that is very driven by deals. You're very driven by opportunities and, you know, by discounts and things like this, right? So, you know, how can you be, you know, create enough to, you know, then again, come up with, you know, like solutions, offers that, you know, are going to incentivize that customer to, you know, to want that five minutes to go to your store and pick up that deal, right? And, you know, on our side, like we brought, you know, the meal plan delivery and we literally, you know, put that option as a pickup for our stores. So, you know, it's something that we're only doing, you know, via delivery. We're only, you know, sending the those daily meal plans and, we put, you know, like that option, you know, as a, as a pickup option and we put a 40% off versus the delivery price. And then we've seen a massive surge of people like all around, you know, like regular customers that then of course, like, you know, they're being enticed by a very attractive price, um, you know, and, and decide to just walk five, 10 minutes to go and pick up their, you know, the daily meals. Right. So, you know, those are the, you know, the ideas that we had. And of course, you know, what, you know, team mentioned, like it's something that we've done as well. We've developed like a, an online, you know, like supermarket line uh, that, you know, we're also like bringing into uh, actual supermarkets. Um, so, so yes, you know, like um, I think that there are still, you know, there's still opportunities. Unfortunately, uh, there's also like the nature of your business. Um, and, you know, like we're lucky enough that, you know, like we were prepared, but we're, that we're also in a, in a, in a niche, meaning healthy eating um, that, you know, is, is also like growing in that point of time. Uh, and I think that you know other uh, other you know like brands that are in more you know like very widespread like you know like categories uh, it's very difficult then to differentiate and it's very difficult to you know like just you know like really stick out from the competition. So you know it's it's going to be very very tough.
1: Thanks, thanks for sharing the insights. So um, we have a few questions I should I should take it out and answer during the uh, challenges which are moving in. So here's the, here's the background. So some people say that the challenges that the F&B face are not about the technology, but about the mindset, right? Um, so, for example, some of our F&B uh, practitioners has, has been uh, slower in terms to get on board some of the digital solutions. Uh, case in point, some of the hawkers, and uh, in, in a way, they're affected by these measures as they are not quick enough to catch up. So I know that some of you already mentioned quite a lot of things that can be done. So, but anyone can chime in? How do you think? How should F B adapt and cope with the challenges and changes? What should be the key area of focus? Okay, um, maybe I i speak something that's on my mind. So just now you uh, I think Keith mentioned that a lot of work needs to be done, if even if you create an apps uh, to grow up the traffic, all this. Um then again, when any F and B merchants in a shopping mall they sell out, an outlet, it's a half a million endeavor, right? Half a million, 000, sometimes more, and then they do a lot of things. So that's and, and they willingly do it. They probably take a loan, get investment and so on. So right now, there's a transformation. Do you think people will actively invest the same amount of money into the app that's going to save their business? I mean, some some of the thoughts that I have. Um, Keith, um, do you want to follow up and have your, have your, have your, your take on it?
3: I think... Um... Yeah, I mean, to answer your question, no, I don't think they'll invest that amount of money. Um, I think uh, loyalty is something that that people don't invest um, enough of, actually. Um, There was a great article the other day on LinkedIn about the airline industry, how their biggest assets was um, their loyalty program, the millions of people they have on the database, and how you have no one from that loyalty program sitting on the board at any of these big airlines. So the airlines clearly still think that, you know, the, the planes uh, and, you know, making sure people are flying, bums on seats is the most important thing is when they've got all of this data from millions and millions of people, of um, customers. Um, uh, why that is, I, I, I don't really know. Maybe because they've just spent, as you say, half a million dollars, $750,000, that there's not much left after. Maybe that's the reason why they're uh, not investing. But you know, we'll probably we'll probably see a shift now as as everything becomes more digital because of because of the virus, because of COVID nineteen. You know, people will start having to to invest more in in digitalizing. You know, before it was it was difficult to find a website on restaurants. A lot of people just use the Facebook page, for example. And then, you know uh, that that's pretty common and I think going forward I think you'll you know you'll you'll see it you'll see it change. I think I do think for hawkers it's 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 tougher for the simple reason that the the price point is low and that's that's where the challenge is it's not I'm sure it's not a question of them not wanting to, but if you're paying four five six dollars for example, for a meal at a hawker, and if you try and do the delivery yourself. You know, you're going to have to pay probably twelve dollars mm. for that delivery to happen. So that hawker meal suddenly goes from being you know four five dollars to you know sixteen seventeen dollars, and it becomes it becomes more expensive. So it is tougher, but there are there are solutions out there. There's you know there are, again there's another company. I don't I don't know what the company's name, but they are investing in delivering for hawkers. Whether that's a long term play or that's just during
4: these these you know past two
2: months we'll have
4: to wait and see is that yq that's it yq yeah yq yeah yeah yeah. yeah yeah
2: yeah that's it no i think i think that you know on my side like what i what i can say right and you know and especially like you know when we look at you know this industry right this the industry and i come from you know a different background i i didn't come from you know the industry uh, you know the FNB industry i was working for LVMH and then as you mentioned i you know i also worked for tony fernandez and you know, like the first thing that shocked me, you know, like when I, you know, like I rejoin the industry, yeah, is the lack of, you know, marketing activations, you know, and I think that, you know, everybody's always been focused on, you know, like traditional, 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 you know, customers in and all these. but, you know, I came from a background that is, you know, like I mean, digital was everything, you know, like everybody was like preparing on like, you know, pivoting, you know, digitally, and 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 here you see very very few brands, and you know, and 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 it's just retail, retail, retail. And I think that now the reality is we've all been given the same cards. And, you know, like and keeping a, a, a traditional business is just it's just not going to work anymore. You know, unless you are, you know, you really have like a, a super established brand that, you know, customers are just going to like, you know, like really n- like find a way to just get to and, and you know, and continue in the business. But, you know, like you will have to, you know, you'll have to pivot and you'll have to really start to, to see how you can keep online you know like recruiting customers online you know really like you know gain share of mind increase your presence you know like on a lot of different type of platforms and you know and and make sure that you you build something that is still sustainable and scalable because you know right now like you know like and we mentioned that at the start of the of the chat you know we we I I paid top dollars you know to be in raffles place you know and and why because the strength was you know numbers, traffic, and that's now the okay. biggest strength and the reason why you pay the biggest bucks is literally becoming the biggest weakness, you know, in a mm-hmm. matter of, of months, you know, like you, so how do you do that? Right. And then I think then it brings the, the point of like, you know, like landlords. And I think that that's the, you know, probably like, you know, the, the, the second biggest, if not the, the, the biggest uh, conversation topic for, you know, the FNB industry right now, you know, like, how do you deal with this? Right. How, how do you deal with like paying such high rents that demand? You know really high turnover and really you know really big volume and i think that that's why it's going to cripple uh, a ton of businesses yeah
1: so interesting that alexis brought this up so i think we have one question which is like um from from the attendee do you think the government should consider other solutions to improve the situation aside from just uh, the subsidies and uh financial aid um, perhaps uh anyone keith team or even Alexis, so this was one question from from the audience. So government, of course, has given a lot of things. Like
3: yeah, they've given a lot. <laughs> I think I mean you know it's never enough, right? But I I think if you look at what the government has uh, given out, I mean it's pretty generous. When I compare to other markets where you know we have presence in the world, it's 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 pretty generous. But I think I think where the gap is is definitely with with the rent and that's that's where the issue is right because they've kind of solved the problem with the salary for for the time being and you know until until the end of the year which is which is a which is a fantastic help the biggest challenge now is that your two biggest overheads are are your rent and your manpower so you know your rent is now where the issue is and and You know, as Alexis said, if you're paying top dollar to be in in the CBD, you're paying top dollar, not because you want to, it's because you're paying for that extra traffic, you're paying for that extra footfall, but that footfall no longer exists. It's gone. And you know what? It's not going to come back for a while. Like We're going into phase two tomorrow. Tomorrow it doesn't go back to 100%. If it did, it would be a different conversation. If, you know, there's obviously reasons as to why we can't, but. If if it did, if tomorrow was just a question of everything goes back to, to normal, then you know I think that's it. But I think now these next few months is 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 where the challenge is gonna be.
1: Maybe I said the uh, I said the uh, I set the uh, background a bit. So I mean like so we were talking about renter and we were talking about like now you're paying for the renter for the traffic that is not coming, correct? So but also Alexis mentioned digital. So digital is a very fair game. You pay ever you pay dollars to Google or Facebook. They already show you how much traffic and they charge you for the traffic, right? So do you think that uh, it's reasonable to ask, like maybe petition to the government in the form of a renter? Yes, the landlord can still charge a certain renter, but it's tying to the actual consumption or the traffic that everyone wins. The landlord still get their rent and the F&B merchants uh, can be sustained. I mean, I mean any, any thoughts on that?
2: yeah no like i'll jump on that one like you know i think that you know ultimately you know that's the reality and you know like yes the government's been incredibly generous you know and uh but you know like it's just basically just you know buying us you know time is not you know like really it's not something that's sustainable for 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 the industry because as soon as the health is going to decrease then the reality is going to be that yeah traffic is not going to be there and you know but your cost are going to be there, right? And rentals, uh, you know, staff, um, and you know, and and the other overheads, right? So, ultimately, right? I think that we really need to go and look into this, and I think that's you know what a lot of you know FMB, uh, FMB, like you know, like some of the top FMB groups, we you know, we're trying to like you know, speak together and and, and try to speak with the government to you know, to to make something happen because you know as it is right now um you know landlords and and look like you know it's not like it's been a smooth process i think that you know out of like the four the three landlords i deal with one you know like really dealt nicely with you know with the situation That you know the other two there was zero communication and there was zero transparency uh you know and then again you speak about you know traffic and you know and then again like how do you how do you go and control this how do you go and make sure that this is the right numbers that they communicate so I think that, you know, like the contract will have to change, you know, like it will have to be, you know, like, you know, sense of like really being either GTO based or renegotiate the contracts. But, you know, when you just see, even though like, you know, the government were giving those subsidies, the way that the, you know, the, you know, the landlords were reacting, you know, the, like, I don't think it's going to be like a very positive conversation unless really the government is making a strong, you know, a strong change. And um, so I think that's really what um you know like I think that's really the number one point that I think we should we, we need to work on, like you know like proper conversation, proper communication and 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 trying to find some some adjustments you know like um for for businesses uh, everybody like we can't just be the only one to take you know to take everything you know to take all the all the burden like you know the landlords need also to you know to 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 be involved and 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 to carry this with us. Okay, I think,
1: I think what Alexis should pretty much answer the extra things that some of the extra things the government could help especially with the rent and landlord I mean, from the question. Okay. There are a few questions uh, here. So all, all with regards to uh, manpower. So I thought this is quite interesting. Uh, anyone can chime in and answer. Some restaurants could command higher prices for their products because of the ambience that they offer during dining experience, right? Given the absence of dining experience during circuit breaker and phase one, restriction during phase two. What do you see are the impacts for these restaurants? And um, do you have any suggestions and strategies to combat this? I believe the, this attendees are probably referring to all these uh, fine, dining, the, the, uh, fine dining restaurants, those that have yeah. better ambience. Yeah, uh, any one of you?
4: I, I can give it a crack. So historically, waiter hasn't worked with fine dining establishments. And that's because when you go to a fine dining establishment, generally you're wanting that customer service interaction. So you want someone to come over and hand, hold your hand and talk you through the menu, make recommendations on, on what you should order and give advice on what are the best things on the menu. And historically, waiter has avoided that because our, our offering is to automate ordering and payment. And so that's sort of a transactional element. And our general positioning is that we could work with fine dining if you could educate customers that the order and payment is just a transaction and the customer service is all of those, those extra things, like finding out what the customer wants, educating them about what are the good things and making sure they've got enough water and welcoming them and all of those things. And so I think that even in a post-COVID environment where you've got reduced capacity, you could still have a really great experience with fewer staff provided you're doing it in the right way, I think. Now, I, I still don't think that, the, that customers would want to necessarily, like fine dining, places which have tablecloths and, and fine dining. I don't think that it would work to order from your QR code. But maybe, maybe there's a potential there. We've, we've, we've got more interest from restaurants that have a, a higher, I would say, caliber of clientele that they target. When I say caliber, I'm talking about average spend. And so I think that there's stuff that you can do there. I guess I don't know enough about the margins in those fine dining places to know whether they could operate at the reduced capacity. And so I know that, or what what I'm hearing from restaurants is that people believe that, given how long people have been trapped at home, they're gonna be looking for a reason to go out. And so there'll be this, what they're calling a flight to quality. And so if they can go to a fine dining establishment where the tables are well spaced out, they know that hygiene is really important, they know that they're well taken care of, then they're going to have this great experience where they'll go there and they'll be prepared to pay higher prices because they know it's, it's high quality. They know they're not going to be in, in encountering other people and being exposed to the coronavirus. So my, I don't have an answer whether or not they'd be able to make enough money mm. from the really high ticket from a, from a reduced number of customers to offset their costs. That, that's, so I don't, I don't know the answer. What do what what the other guys think?
2: Yeah, I think that you know, I, I you know, I think that ultimately it will really depend on 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 a lot of different players. Um, yeah, realistically, I think you know, financing they're going to suffer a lot by the reduced yeah. capacity, um, because then again, it's always about you know, like in the you know in the FM industry, you you know, you study you your square footage, and it's all about the dollar per square foot, you know, and and that it's you know on on rentals, like it's on like you know sales. And so, you know, once you reduce your capacity, you know, by half, like, you know, he just, you know, he just messes with your bottom line. And so I think that it's going to be very, very difficult, you know, to for a lot of establishment. But also, you know, then again, like, it's 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 one of those situations where, you know, we all dealt the same car. So what, you know, how can you be creative and how can you think ahead of the game and how can you pivot to just really take this opportunity? Because, you know, like, you know, like Tim mentioned, like, I really believe you know, that customers have been stuck at home for a long time and now they, you know, they want to go out, they want to have that, you know, that really good meal. And and also like, I mean, you know, like uh, some of them, you know, like they're willing to pay for that experience, you know, so I think that, you know, like um, if restaurants are creative enough um, to build an experience and I think that, you know, you mentioned like uh, health and safety and I think that that's a very, very important point. Make sure that, you know, like um, the system in place um, really, you know, Make your customer feel safe, and I think that's going to be like very important for the ones who uh, who will come out on top, you know. But um but yeah, I think it's it's really going to depend a lot on you know on the bottom line. um But reduced capacity is, is going to be it's going to be super tough. Yeah.
1: Okay, thanks for sharing. Yeah, I'm going to address uh I'm going to address these uh, two other questions to y'all, and then uh, before we, we we have a concluding uh questions. So there's this question. um uh, Everyone, anyone can chime in asking like how 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 would anyone uh or any other cafes or any merchants that you know manage during the phase two when dying is happening tomorrow but i think he's a restaurant owner most of our manpower are still heavily streamlined so uh like if team any of your merchants share anything with you on
3: any insights i think a lot of people have been uh caught off guard i mean like it was it was announced on tuesday evening and mm. you know you're expected to just you know be ready and to go on Friday and I was was at the office yesterday walking past and I saw a couple of restaurants just in front of ours that were kind of shipping out, uh, lorrying out um, some of their tables and chairs because obviously they have to, they have to, you know, abide with the the new um, spacing between the tables and you don't want to have chairs and tables obviously stacked up. so yeah, I think it's uh, it's gonna take time. I can I can say from 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 our experience that not everyone is opening yet. Now I think we found hotels, for example, a lot of them are still being used for as government facilities, so they're not opening. Not all of them, obviously, but some of the ones that we work with. Um, and we've also found that uh, just yeah, just not everyone is 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 opening yet. They're doing it slowly because that their manpower they, they may depend on you know x amount of foreign labor as well and obviously no one can um no one can come into the country so if if you have yeah. some 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 manpower that lives in malaysia for example it's it's not possible for them to yeah. to come back in right now so so that's that's what that's what we've seen in the past 48 hours and and just going just going off what um i think alexis was mentioning earlier or, or to him about um um, you know how the fine dining scene's uh, managing. Well, I thought it was interesting to see um, Chope announce. I think it was last night that in the first couple of hours they received something like ten thousand reservations um, after it was announced, which is, which is, which is crazy. And I think yeah, people have been you know stuck in their houses for
2: the last two months that they've obviously got a little bit excited. <laughs> Yeah, like to jump to jump on that question as well. I think that you know, like it's, uh, yeah, and no, it's, uh, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be quite interesting to see how you know, like everybody's gonna answer. But like you know, the reality is, yeah, you know, for I think that, and and for my personal case, I'm really looking at when offices are gonna reopen, and I think that's really like the indicator, uh, you know, more than the government, you know, like telling us when to reopen. Because at the end of the day, if you reopen and you know, you put your staff in. Um, and you know you you, you get the, like the food prep, all your food ready, and then there's nobody in there. You're losing even more. Um, and so you know I, I saw like some some stats on on offices, and you know even like right now like offices and some of the biggest you know offices like banks and all these, they're only allowing ten to like you know like top twenty percent of their staff to go back. Um, and I think that you know like a ton of companies give the options to uh, you know to uh, to employees, and employees prefer to work from home. So I think that you know, like for all the restaurants that are very like office crowd based, um, you know, like you, you will you will see those ones try to open as late as possible, um, and I think that's the reality. But you know, like it is definitely true, uh, you know, from what like you know Keith mentioned that, you know, you hear this on Tuesday and and then yeah, you're supposed to then like you know like open like you know by you know by Friday and. And a lot of our staff are blocked. Like, you know, we have like foreign foreign workers and, you know, they still have to, you know, to come back and stay here for two weeks in quarantine before they can, you know, they can come back, right? So, yeah, so I think that there's, you know, there's going to be a lot of adjustments. I definitely don't see, at least, you know, for my type of businesses, you know, like a big improvement. You know, it's a step forward and it's good to have a step forward after two and a half months of like, you know, like stagnation, but yeah, no, I think that, you know, like it's still going to be very slow for us. Yeah, i think uh pretty much round up that that, that questions uh it's not easy
1: we have to make do with it okay this is one last question from the floor um it is about jobs uh anyone uh, have any advice on job opportunities roles that are still available in the B industry despite the challenges Like uh, did, did this uh this attendee of course he's aware that it's, uh it's tough but um guys uh, are there any still job opportunities from the panelists?
2: Anyone? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like, I mean, you know, like I think that you know, like um, there's still you know, like um, you know, there's still this issue with like foreign workforce. I think that like, right now, like you know, uh, you have a lot of players that you know looking for you know for for manpower, Um, you know, and and then like pivoting, like there are big opportunities, and I think that you know, like. We've we've spoken and spent a lot of time in you know in in addressing all the issues, but you know nonetheless, I think that there are really big opportunities, and you know um, and the industry is changing, um, you know, so you know that change will lead to you know big opportunities, and it would you know it, it would be up to the to the brands to you know to to take on that challenge and 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 grab those opportunities. Not everybody is going to be able to. A lot of brands sadly are going to die, and so it's really going to depend on you know how where you are, how quick you can pivot. And, you know, and, and also how creative and how far you want to go, you know, but um, it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting time. Um, and, you know, I think that from a, from a job perspective, uh, you know, those companies that manage to thrive on that, you know, you still have some, uh, some, some job opportunities. But let's be realistic that still in Singapore, you know, like the, the staffing uh, in the FME industry is extremely difficult, uh, you know, so that's also like a, a big, a, you know, a big problem, uh, you know, by itself. Okay, thanks. Okay, I'm good to I'm going to round it up. Um
1: I'm just gonna ask the last question. What's the one advice that you will give to f and B merchant for the next six months? Some things that you will leave with them. Uh maybe I start with um Keith. Like from everything you've seen. Um so I think it's thoughts. I think it's about um I
3: think it's about um you know, having the right size team right now, and to be honest, seeing seeing this through, it's about minimizing your losses. I mean, now now we go into into phase two. Obviously, for the last two months, there's you know, even for a platform like ours, our our is our being hit extremely hard. Um, But you know, I do think that um, that it's it's about seeing it through and and, and minimizing. Um, costs and making sure that every month it's, you know, you get as close to break even as you possibly can because well. Once we get through this and obviously that there is, there is light at the end of the tunnel. We will, we will eventually go back to, to normal. I'm sure of it.
1: Thanks Keith. What about uh, Tim?
4: Uh, Mine is very, very similar to Keith. So minimize your fixed costs wherever you can. So Alexis mentioned rent, which is a very tricky one. So minimize your fixed costs, try to keep your variable costs. Uh, as low as possible so then every every time you make a sale you're making contribution margin on that so the ones i I think what alexis was saying earlier about the the industry not really caring about customer loyalty or customer retention i think the the brands that will survive will be able to profit in the long term because the weaker ones which unfortunately which don't have the cash cash reserves will die and then that'll free up some space in the market for the stronger players who have the cash reserves to get premium locations and so if you can survive and if you can build customer loyalty, build customer brand. So if you've got a high quality product and you've got a great experience for customers and you're able to get repeat customers, you'll succeed. The challenge is whether you can survive long enough, which is why I started this answer by saying, minimize your fixed costs and focus on, on working on your variable costs. Then if you can do that and contribute towards increasing repeat customers, then I think you'll be strong in the long term.
2: Thanks, Tim. Um, Alexis? Yeah, and,
4: yeah, no, I think you yeah.
2: know, like, so obviously the you know the bottom line is you know it's it's extremely important, you know, like at this stage, uh, you know, like it's it's really about surviving, but you know, like, uh, I think that you know, on my side is also mindset, and this is what I told my team, you know, like from you know from the beginning is, um, you know, like there's surviving and there's trying to thrive, you know, and um, and so you know, like of course it's it's a matter of like what ammunition do you have, but it's also a matter of mindset, you know, and. What is very important, you know, and I'll say to all these business out, you know, owners out there is, you know, number one is manage your team and manage the moral of your team and manage the spirit of your team. And, you know, speak about, you know, like be positive and and, and communicate often with them because I think that everybody's scared, you know? And, um, you know, and everybody's wondering, all right, am, am I going to keep my job, right? And sometimes when you're the owner, um, you don't pay attention to those things. You know, you're just trying to survive and you're just trying to find like, okay, where can I cut costs and all this? And, but, you know, I think like speaking with your staff, uh, communicating with your staff, explaining exactly what, what the company is going to do and, and the opportunities is, is is very important. The second thing is, you know, like, try to be creative and, and try to really see, like, you know, where the opportunities are going to be and, and think where the market is going to move towards and how can you anticipate these things and how can you really turn, you know, like a, a situation of crisis into an opportunity. And, you know, in, in our company, like, I'm very, you know, I'm very uh, lucky to, you know, to, to be surrounded by, you know, like, a, you know, People who have the same mindset, and we're very positive. And I really believe that you know we came up with solutions that are going to change our company and that's going to change the game. And um, and I think that you know like I really want to bring that team message you know to everyone, and, and thinking that you know like uh, as long as you're a team, and as long as you know you you really try to take that like, one problem at a time, um, you know, and, and 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 try to really stay positive, you know, like you're much more likely to to attract like positive outcome, um, you know. So. You know, and I said that to some of, you know, like my friends, yes, you know, like controlling the bottom line is extremely important, you know, buy yourself time, but also like, you know, like put a lot of your time on how can you, you know, develop your business still and how can you like recoup some of those sales and, you know, don't just be like, you know, focused on like dealing with, you know, with landlords and just trying to like cost, you know, you know, try to see where the opportunity is going to be because you know what Keith mentioned and it is very true. The one who has, you know, like the more, the most ammunition, and you know, the, the better cash flow, are going to be able to survive and write this, you know. And once you you, you survive and you write this, I think there's going to be tremendous opportunities from a real estate point of view, uh, you know, from a, a cost per acquisition point of view. And, and I just give you like an element, uh, you know, digitally right now. Um, you know, Facebook is at an all-time low. Like advertising on Facebook, you know, the cost per, you know, like customer acquisition is at an all-time low. So there are opportunities for you to be able to like, really like, you know, invest your money smartly and to develop, you know, your, your business. So I think that as soon as we are able to like, you know, ride that wave then there's definitely light at the end of the tunnel, then there's going to be tremendous opportunity. And, and I think that, you know, it's, it starts today, you know, to be ready for them.
1: Thank you, Alexis. And uh, thank you for sharing all this and uh, having me as a moderator. And thank you for the audience, for the questions and for the engagement as a learning experience for me. Uh, Now, I will hand over to the organizer, Sophie. Uh, You can take over now.
0: Thank you, Ebenezer. Tim, Keith, Alexis, thank you very much uh, for your time today, um, sharing with us your useful views, um, a very reflective session of the current situation. Um, Thank you, participants, for joining us. Please submit your feedback after you exit this webinar. Um, Join us next week for a breakfast session. Um, with John Friedman of AG Funder. So he's going to talk about the evolution of agri-food tech and investing with impact at 9.30am. So if you want to contact any of the panelists here, feel free to reach out to them on LinkedIn or through me, Sophia. So I'm signing out. Stay safe and stay well. Thank you, everyone. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. Thank
2: you. All Bye.